0: Uh, this is entitled, you know, I'm really bad with ty- with titles, so I call this God's Character, His Word Stands. Okay. So what I want to do is cover some uh, Hebrew phrases, or the way they use their word structure. And uh, it's kind of built upon stuff I've been thinking about for months and months. And there was a, an episode in August that was, I thought was interesting, and that, if you remember, I did a short little devotional at the beginning of August about um, Isaiah 40, where those who have no strength can, can wait on the Lord and renew their, their strength. And then a sister in the Lord told me that I preached on Isaiah 40 before. I go, what? I don't think so. And then I went and checked. 2008 I did. And I talked about something that was, I mentioned something that was pretty dark at that time. I'm going through some tough times right now. And I went back and I listened to it, heard some details about it, and remembered the details. And I go, oh, God got me through that time. He's going to get me through this time. Okay, And I think that's how we should look at our lives, too. Some, now, not everyone has sermon audio sermons they can go back and listen to of their own. But you can journal. You can take notes about what God has done in your life. And pretty soon you'll build a huge, uh, I, guess, I guess you can say it, a dossier of what God has done in your life. Okay. So in, in essence, I'm looking at that not in a personal way, but more of a overall general way. So uh, I'm not going to have us turn to any scripture except to Genesis chapter 3 late, later. And this is a plug for Ken's class uh, Wednesday, only you're done with it right now. So, so it's too late. Until he starts back up again. Okay, I have to watch the time too. Okay, um, how many of you like sports? Yeah, I don't. So, and, but I will watch it if someone else is watching it on TV. And I can find enjoyment in it. But sports gives us good analogies that we can use with, with scripture. So here's one. Imagine a very strong person in their prime of life. They're at peak of fitness, and they're running. And then you notice they get tired, and then pretty soon they start stumbling. And then, face Okay, An onlooker might say, oh, look, they were stumbling. A second person might say, they stumbled. And a third person, if they thought about Hebrew, would say, oh, in stumbling, they stumbled. It's pretty serious. It's an end result. So it's a process and an end result. So in Isaiah 40, chapter, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, this is what I'm going to look at. He gives strength to the weary, and to the one who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. The stumbling badly, or the stumble badly in English, is literally falling he shall fall, or stumbling he stumbles. The vigorous young man stumbles in his stumbling. It seems redundant, but it's showing a process and an end result. In his own strength he stumbles in his stumbling. And they are not trusting in the Lord, but in their own strength. Now, I'm going to be using verses... Uh, but I'm not, I don't have time to exegete each one, but I will use them as I exegeted them in my head. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm using a particular approach to the scriptures uh, from the, the, the commentaries that I have studied. <clears throat> so again, we see a, an action and an end result. Or we can say we have the process and then the end of the process. And it's a redundancy in Hebrew to convey something. Psalm 40. It's a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. That's Psalm 40, verse 1. And the Hebrew literally is waiting, I waited. Doug covered this a while back. So what's the process? David is waiting. David is not searching here and there, casting about, looking for escape. Um, overly anxious, looking for some earthly relief while he's waiting, like a trapped animal. He's waiting for the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. That doesn't mean David is not doing anything. He's doing what he can. But he's not panicking, because why? His trust is in the Lord. So here in the phrase, waiting I waited, there's an action and then an end result. Or you can say there's a quality of that waiting. Waiting. That's why the English translations say, I waited patiently. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Well, the Hebrew literally is, for you shall surely die, is in dying you shall die. Again, we have a process and an end, and so I'm going to spend a little bit of time here in Genesis. So I gave you three examples of the Hebrew construction for in language to convey intensity, more meaning, um, process, and an end re- result. And uh, Doug, I think you know the language used. So I, I forgot. I read it and wrote it down and forgot it. But it's a it's a gr- grammatical phrase, and this occurs a lot in Hebrew. Okay. I just gave you three examples. So, I want to spend a little bit of time in, uh, in dying you shall die, or in dying you die. So, if you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, again, I'm assuming everybody knows it. Adam followed Eve, heeding her voice, and also, if you look at, uh, ultimately, he followed the serpent's voice. He ate from the tree and died, but apparently not right away. So that makes people think about, well, what does it mean when God says, surely die? Well, again, in Hebrew, it's in dying you shall die. Process and end result. So what is God talking about here? Some say that this death promised by God was just physical. Adam and Eve cut themselves off from the whole source of life, God Almighty. Others say it's spiritual. But if we look at... At it, we can see that it's both. Spiritual, because Adam and Eve hid from God. They covered their own nakedness by fig leaves and blamed someone else for their sin. And so that's a key to me, that they died spiritually. They did not seek out God. They hid from him. But we can also see that every human being, with very few exceptions, every human being dies. Adam died, Eve died, virtually everybody dies. And in sinning against God, they showed themselves to be selfish, serving themselves, not lovers of God, not servants of God. And yet there's more to what happened. Because of their sin, this is a promise from God. He has several of them. By the way, these promises are not found in any Bible promise book, but they should be there because they convey something about God that is very important. Okay, some people call these curses. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. So what did God promise? He promised more pain in childbirth. He promised marital strife. God promised toil, thorns. Thistles and sweat. And the application, some say, oh, that's just for agriculture. It's going to make agriculture difficult. Well, it is difficult to grow food. But the application is not just to agriculture, it's to our lives. It's a picture of struggle in the world and a struggle with the world. Life is not to be easy. And we cannot forget that God also promised death. In dying, you die. So life is to end. I've seen my own loved ones dead. And many of you have seen some of your loved ones dead. People who were once strong, vibrant, who laughed, played, loved, cussed, whatever they did. They're living their lives. They're now dead. They're laid low by age, sickness, and yes, death. I saw a video. I don't really seek, seek out these things, but they show up once in a while on YouTube. So I watched this video. And it was showing pictures of people, either paintings or photographs, of the wealthy or royalty. And then it showed, and I don't know how they got these pictures, but they went to their caskets, their sepulchers, and they, they took pictures of the bodies after they'd been dead for a while. So I remember one is a uh, photograph of, of a... An elegant lady, beautiful in her gown, and then it showed a picture in her casket. The jewelry still looked good, but she did not. Okay. Another one, a painting of a duke, probably from the 1800s. Handsome, strong, nice red hair. Uh, but after he died and was in his tomb for a while, he didn't look handsome or strong. You can still see his red hair, but all his glory was gone. It was gone. Uh, And some of you have seen some quite horrific scenes. So death, in my opinion, is ugly. It's an ugly thing. And I want you to look around in this world. Take inventory of it. Think about all that you have seen and experienced on this earth. Did God's word, his promises of hard labor, marital strife, struggle, and death, did his word come true? So I don't really call these curses. They are promises that God has proved to be true. So God spoke every animal into existence. God spoke every planet and star into existence. Read Genesis chapter 1. It was everything that, that we have he created. God spoke. And so God's word is true. God's word stands. Every Everything that we think of in our lives, God has spoken. Everything. So God's, God's word stands. And there is something else that God does in this chapter. All these promises that people, some people think are curses are not pleasant things. I hate struggling. I hate working by the sweat of my brow. I hate marital strife. I hate the struggle. But at the same time, these are blessings. You may not think of it, but they are blessings, and I'll I'll finish it up when I get there with the blessings. In this chapter of Genesis three, we see that God shows mercy to those who transgressed against Him. This is uh, verse twenty-one, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Remember that they are trying to cover their shame with fig leaves. And the shame that they were feeling wasn't just because they were naked, because they sinned against God. Okay, They sinned against God, and they felt ashamed, and it symbolized it by their nakedness and their shame of their nakedness. And I'm gonna, my contention is nothing feels right after you willfully sin against God. Nothing is right. There is a wrongness in our lives when we are in rebellion against God. And it was no different for our first parents. But God, who walked in the garden, and we talked about this in the Wednesday night study, God who walked in the garden, did you hear about walked in the garden? Well, God's supposed to be spirit, right? But who walked in the garden? We view it as a theophany, like a pre-incarnate Christ showing up, like the angel of the Lord walks. So this is a pre-incarnate Christ, in my opinion, the one who was walking in the garden, the one through whom everything was made. Everything that was made was made through him. This pre-incarnate Christ covered their nakedness. Again, which is a symbol of their shame. He covered their shame. It's like he's covering their sin. And this great work is a great work of mercy. And reveals more about God's character. What else can we say about Genesis chapter 3? So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and every beast of the field. On your belly will you go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And here we see there's a promise of more struggle. Not just this normal, everyday living outside of paradise, but there's promise of more struggle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And this one is spiritual. to spiritual struggle. So now we're promised spiritual warfare. And we are not allowed to quit, give up, and let the devil win, so to speak. Okay. Because Adam did not show his heel to the serpent and crush him, it is left for another. And so there is warfare between those of God and those so this is the interpretation of that. There are there is warfare between those of God and those who are of the deceiver, also known as the accuser, the father of lies, who is identified here as the serpent. There's warfare. The enmity is first seen when Cain killed Abel. But the ultimate victory goes to another, another one. And here we see the initial promise of the Messiah. To crush the enemy of God and his works, of course, while suffering a lesser wound. This is the first instance of a promised savior. That is why these verses are often called pardon my pronunciation pro evangelium made it easier they said proto evangelium okay i like that they did that okay so that's the first proclamation of the gospel the first instance of the messiah and throughout the bible the old testament god through his prophets promised the messiah this is not an exhaustive list, and uh, so this is just to wet your, your, your whistle. You can study it on your own. If you really want to know about all the prophecies in the Old Testament as they pertain to the Messiah, you, have, you need to be on that road to Emmaus okay? to listen to Jesus talk about himself. Okay, So here's a few. Micah chapter 5. Uh, from Bethlehem there is supposed to be a shepherd, a ruler coming. In verse 5, this one will be our peace. In Isaiah 52 through 53, that's a large portion that talks about the Messiah. There are other portions in Isaiah too, but in verse 5 of 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. By the way, the temple was the second temple that the Lord came to. And then it finishes off, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9. This is when... They came back from exile, and they had their own homes. They were struggling with some stuff. They kind of looked at the foundation for the temple and go, oh, this looks pretty pathetic. Because some of the people remembered the first temple, how grand it was, its size. And uh, through Haggai, God says, The glory of this present house will be greater than was the former, declares the Lord Of the heavenly armies. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord of the Heavenly Armies. So he's declaring it twice, one after the other. The glory of the present house will be greater than the former. Some people say, well, you know what? There was really three temples because Herod went and made this one really nice. So lots of wealth did come in to refurbish the temple, but it's still the second temple. And we have to look at what does God consider glorious? Nothing he made really is, from his point of view, because he is the one whose glory. So what happened in that second temple? Well, the Messiah showed up. God in the flesh was there. That was what made the second temple having greater glory. And notice it says, in this place I will grant peace. Daniel, chapters, oh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. In, uh, one, what, this is funny. In one of the commentaries... Uh, the commentator made a comment saying, about the 70 weeks or the 77s really literally that 's what it is, the 77s excuse me i 'm getting excited the 77s, it 's a dismal swamp, because there are so many interpretations of this. right? So do not, please, do not listen to a commentator, a commentator who's dispensational. You'll get it all wrong. They're just totally wrong. They have gap theories that are, like, ridiculous. So, that's my opinion. So, anyway, go to someone who is covenantal and, that's really the basic, and confessional. Okay. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. 70 weeks, or really it's 77. Some people attribute time to that. but But the number is important. Are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks, again, I'm saying weeks for the sevens. It shall be built with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Remember, if you think about the history, then Jerusalem was rebuilt after the exile, but it was, they had to stop and start, stop and start, because people complained, caused issues. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Talking about the Messiah here. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Talking about Rome. It end, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. You can study this for quite a while. So the, so the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was also when the second temple was destroyed. So that means any prophecy for the Messiah coming for that second temple had to be fulfilled by then. And so the only one who fits the bill, from my point of view and others, is Christ. Okay. Okay. He fits. He fits. And so, this is why there were people waiting for the Messiah in Jesus' Jesus' time. So, remember what was said up here in verse 24. It's to finish transgression, which uh, means restrain it. To put an end to sin. That means it no longer reigns in God's people. To atone for iniquity. Or propitiate, be the propitiation for the sin. That was to cover the sin uh, as Adam and Eve were covered, but they were covered with animal skins, and from there on covered with the blood of the the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To bring an everlasting righteousness. This is the righteousness that comes from God imputed to his people. To seal both vision and profit. This says, you know what? The Messiah came. There's no more visions talking about the Messiah coming. It ends right there. It has been fulfilled. To anoint a most holy place or holy of holies. If you know the story that the temple curtain was torn in two uh, at Jesus', Jesus crucifixion. And, uh, but you can also see that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit after baptized by John the Baptist. Okay, so these and there are a lot of other prophecies point to Jesus pointing to his ministry. And again, that's why people say, are you the expectant one? When you read the New Testament, are you the expectant one? Are you the coming one? John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. Martha, remember Lazarus? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings. Okay. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary said the same thing, by the way, later. Later. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is thinking about what he's going to do. Martha's thinking about the far future. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. She probably would have said Messiah, the son of God who is coming into the world. So they were looking. And he he came. One more thing about the life that Jesus talked about. He says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who do you think he's talking about? Goes all the way back to the garden again. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, again, unfortunately, we have people who look at that and say, He's going to make us wealthy and rich. That's not what He's talking about. Okay? The abundantly is really abundant in the Lord, having God with you. God promised the Messiah, and what, God, what did God do? He delivered. He delivered, He promised, and He delivered. Again, God's word stands. The first Adam disobeyed God, didn't believe his word, rebelled against God, and brought us physical struggle, pain, sorrow, toil, and spiritual conflict. But also, in dying, you shall die. He gave us death. But also, we have the second Adam. And if we follow his word, This word mitigates some of our struggles. It makes it better. You look at the the promises, again, some people say curses, that was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis. Some of those are mitigated if we obey God's word, if we follow and trust him. Marital strife, for example. There's lots of stuff in scripture about that. Your attitude towards work. There's stuff in scripture about that. Trusting in the Lord and his providences. Something in scripture about that. Okay, But with the second Adam, we would be happier if we knew the Bible and followed it. So it's another thing. You've got to study your Bible well. It's important to know it and follow it. But in him, we have eternal life. And if the New Testament was written in Hebrew and not Koine Greek, this is my opinion. No one else has said this as far as I know. But they probably did. I found out there's nothing new under the sun. I have an idea. Someone else thought of it a long time ago. So anyway, um, I would suspect this. If the New Testament was written in Hebrew, Jesus would be giving us this. Adam brought us, in dying you shall die, in Jesus we have, in living you shall live. You see how he changed it. He undid what Adam did. Again, notice you see a process and the end of the process. For we shall truly live in him. And so what we have is, uh, we have in dying you shall die, and in living you shall live, and there's overlap in this world. Ultimately there's a time, God promised this, when the old order of things shall pass away. That will no longer be there. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. God has said so. He promised. And we'll just have the life. This is for all of God's people in Christ. So, only will be the living left. And by the way, when we live on this earth, in Christ, there's a difference, right? You notice that we can walk with God, experience God. There's spiritual blessings to our trials. And there's something we should never forget. Always spiritual blessings for those who trust in the Lord in their trials. Having reviewed Scripture, going through this lesson, I'm going to give you my interpretation of what was said in Scripture. We are all in Adam. And Adam all sinned. He's our federal head. So I can envision this. And this is not in Scripture, but this is how I can encapsulate it for, for the Christian for those who trust in the Lord. It's like God is saying, you chose not to walk with me in paradise. Is that what Adam did? Chose not to walk with God in paradise? So, you will walk with me as you struggle, not in paradise. You will walk with me as you struggle, as you toil, as you deal with the daily consequences of sin, both yours and others, as you fight the spiritual battles, as you experience great loss, as you are dying. So we're going to walk with God with those things. But I will show you my mercy, and in the end, you will walk with me in paradise. Still. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray. We ask for a revival among your church in this land, across the world, of course. We pray for that, that people have a greater love for your word, a greater trust in you, to know that you keep your word, that your word stands, that no matter what is happening in this world, no matter how the mountains will fall into the heart of the sea, or the vine not give its fruit, and we struggle and struggle and struggle some more, that we can trust you because you have said so that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Your word stands and we can hold upon that as if it is the most very real thing, not something that is just words, but real, tangible, concrete, that we can hold on to and know that it's true. We thank you, Lord, for all your blessings upon your people. I do pray also, Lord, we pray for a revival in this country, revival where people will throw away their idols, throw away their falsehoods, and cling to the the true Messiah, the one who is our Savior. The one through whom everything that was made was made. The one who's crushed the head of the serpent and paid the price with his crushed heel. We pray, Lord, for a great revival. We ask also for your blessings upon this day for Pastor Ken as he will preach and for all of us Have us focus on the words that come from you and to take it to heart, not live it superficially, but live it really. We thank you, Lord, again in Jesus' name. Amen.